What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me on this Friday, Kyle Posey. What's up, Kyle? Hey, man. What's going on? How you doing? I am doing well, and we are excited today because we are joined by Matt Barrows of The Athletic. He has a book out right now. If you need a holiday gift, I highly recommend it. If these walls could talk, stories from the San Francisco 49ers sideline, locker room, and press box. Matt, thank you for the time today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, that book uh, fits so nicely in a stocking. Um, It was actually uh, published that way. So it makes a great Christmas gift and uh, maybe even a last minute gift if you do the the ebook version of it, if, uh, if you're panicking on Christmas Eve. One of my favorite things about it is like when you hear there's a 49ers book coming out, it's like, okay, another book about Joe Montana in the 80s and how great they were. As somebody, you know, I'm 35 years old, I was kind of excited to read a book about the 49ers that I really, really remember. I like that it kind of starts in 2003 and goes on from there. Yeah. And that was part of my negotiation with uh, the publishing company. I mean, they've been wanting to do this book and and it's part of a series. It's called If These Walls Could Talk. And so there's a uh, If These Walls Could Talk, Chicago Cubs and uh, Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, Boston Bruins, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they didn't have one for the 49ers. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to do it exactly as you described it. I mean, uh, there's no shortage of books about uh, Joe Montana and Bill Walsh and Steve Young in, in that era. And they're all good and the stories are great. Um, but there hasn't been anything this century and, and for good reason. I mean, uh, th- this team has been up and down and hasn't won a Super Bowl uh, since the 1990s, but um, you know, still some compelling stories, definitely some interesting personalities, and uh, I did want to document that. So um, it's basically you know this century, the 21st century of the San Francisco 49ers, and you know it's been a uh, largely a, a rough century for this team, and uh, I think that's uh, that's documented in this book. Yeah. So just talking about some of the some of the book, we were we were going through the book and there were some Harbaugh bulk relationship part of the book that we wanted to get to. Um, How do you decide whether you want to have that part of the book in or skip around to, you know, the earlier parts where the 49ers just weren't very good. How do you decide whether this part's going into the book or that part? I mean, basically I put down um, the best stuff that I had. Uh, So a lot of it is, is access uh, obviously, I had good access to Joe Staley, who's sort of literally the bookends uh, of this book. Uh, he was part of both Super Bowls. Yeah, I would have loved to have gotten Navarro Bowman into this book. <laughs> I must have exchanged uh, 30, 40, 50 texts with him uh, over the span that I was writing this, where he would say, yeah, 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 just call me, uh, call me on Tuesday or something like that. And it never worked out. So... I mean, part of it was just literally getting a hold of some of these guys. And, and some of them are more elusive, shall we say, uh, than others. Uh, so, you know, that, that partly explains why some things are in and some things are out. Um, a lot of people have wondered, why don't you have any Colin Kaepernick stuff in there? And the reason is, um, you know, I, I didn't have access to Colin Kaepernick. Nobody does anymore. <laughs> and, you know, uh, the other part is that, Colin Kaepernick is worthy of its own book. I mean, that's a 300 page book in itself. So I didn't think that I could just kind of dip my toe into that, not have access to him, 
um, and, and do a chapter on it. But, um, you know, he is in there from a kind of a player standpoint and what that 2012 season, 2013 season were all about. So I included the football aspect of it, um, not the, the social justice uh, part of the, 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 the Kaepernick story. You mentioned Alex Smith, and obviously he's someone that you talked to extensively for this book. What struck me when I read it was he could have been, if he wanted to be, a huge pain in the ass for this organization. After everything he went through with Nolan and Singletary and his injuries and just the complete disaster that this franchise was and then gets benched for Kaepernick, he could have been a huge problem for this team. And he took the high road again and again and again. That's Alex Smith. And, and I think that even frustrates some people uh, at times. They want to see him get angry, um, get pissed off because he, he has been, um, you know, uh, hamstrung uh, by the, by this team over and over again. I mean, I liken it to Charlie Brown and, uh, and Lucy with, with the football. Every time it looks like, Alex Smith is going to make contact with that, with that kick. She just rips the ball away from him. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's certainly that 2012 season, he lost his job because he had a concussion. Um, there, there's no two ways about that. Uh, the, the, the read from him and, and the guys who support him, which are, you know, uh, Joe Staley and Adam Snyder and, and uh, Frank Gore and, and all those guys was that, you know, Harbaugh and his group wanted to put Colin Kaepernick in. I mean, and it makes sense. You can't really fault them for it. Um, Kaepernick was their handpicked guy. He's the guy that, that Harbaugh drafted in the second round a year earlier. And when Kaepernick came in and just dazzled in that Chicago game, um, you know, uh, uh, he and, and Greg Roman, um, everybody kind of saw the, the possibilities there and they were right. I mean, Kaepernick literally ran away with the, the, the league the rest of the year, including in the playoffs. So um, a difficult time. And you're right. Uh, Alex Smith took the high road. It didn't, A, didn't complain and B really helped Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he was Colin Kaepernick's right-hand man getting him ready for these games. That's what Alex Smith excelled in at that part of his career. I mean, he had been in so many offenses he was a seven-year veteran at that point um, and stuck around, was the first guy in, you know, helped uh, Kaepernick's laid low. And so, you know, it's exactly what we think of Alex Smith today, just a, uh, a really, really decent, good guy, a great guy to have in the locker room. And, and we saw that with Patrick Mahomes and the, and the Chiefs uh, a few years later, where Mahomes really gave Smith a lot of credit for helping him along his rookie season so that he could take over in year two and take over. He did. So one of the parts of the book that, you know, a lot of 49ers fans I'm sure don't want or don't want to remember was the Tom Sula and Chip Kelly years. Uh, what went into the decision to just kind of omit writing about those years? Again, it was more sort of access stuff. Um, Tom Sula has, you know, become the JD Sollinger of NFL coaches since he was a, a head coach. He just doesn't, do interviews anymore. Um, I don't have a great relationship with Trent Baalke. He does not <laughs> return, does? My, <laughs> return my phone calls for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and then, you know, Kaepernick, I, I don't, no, nobody can get a hold of him. So, I mean, again, it was, I, I just had, I had 70,000 words to, to work with and I had to put the best stuff I had into the story. Um, and they definitely wanted 
the publisher definitely wanted a lot of um, the, the, the current team as well. So I, uh, I basically had to ax some things like Chip Kelly, Jim Tomsula years for, for others. And that's basically the, the reason why. I don't want you to give too much of it away, obviously, but one of the parts of the book that I didn't know, and I consider myself a pretty hardcore fan, but can you just sort of give us the highlights of a story that involves Justin Smith going to a party at Joe Staley's house and how things ended up very badly for Joe Staley? Yes, this was um, one year uh, after Staley entered the league. So he's a second year player, but first round pick. So he had a little change in his pocket and um, he bought a house, his first ever house in, in Campbell, California. And, and I don't think that this was any sort of mansion or anything. I think this is just you know, a house in a neighborhood, a nice house. Um, and it had a nice backyard, um, including a fire pit. And um, Staley was living there and uh, he was living with a, uh, a young offensive lineman, sort of an, an undrafted guy who was basically uh, renting a room from Staley. And so Staley had to go back to Michigan, his home state, because his sister was graduating college. Uh, so this was in, in the late spring, early summer. And um, this offensive lineman, whose name is Jeb Terry, said, hey, you, you mind if I have a couple of guys over uh, while you're gone? And uh, it, it was going to be, uh, I think it was David Boss and Eric Snyder, a couple of other, um, Adam Snyder, a couple of other uh, offensive linemen. And, and Staley said, sure, no problem. Uh, just don't break anything. And so uh, the, the long and short of it is that this little gathering turns into a big party. And when Justin Smith, who had just come in, remember he was a big free agent catch in 2008, um, and his more rowdy defensive lineman came over, it turned into a real rager, which involved Smith using that fire pit and uh, running out of firewood and deciding that, you know, the, the party's not over, even though we're out of firewood, we're gonna throw Joe Staley's patio furniture onto this fire pit. And apparently it was full of lacquer and it would just flame up as soon as you put a piece of furniture on there. But then the flame would, would die down and they'd have to go scramble and find another one. So by the end of the night, all of Joe Staley's patio furniture are piled 10 feet high onto this fire pit. And not only that, they are sending poor Joe Staley uh, photos of what's happening in his backyard in Michigan the entire time. So uh, the, the sort of the deeper meaning here is that uh, Justin Smith didn't feel like there was a real kind of team atmosphere when he arrived. And uh, being the high-priced free agent that he was, he felt like that was his job to sort of um, galvanize this team, get them together, get them uh, to be more of a brotherhood. And um, that's exactly what happened. He was the tone setter for that team. And it was a wasn't it wasn't a um, uh, a lighter, merry tone. It was sort of a uh, rough and tumble, Justin Smith like uh, element to it. And you know there were a lot of arrests, a lot of beer drinking. That was uh, that was sort of. And he was the I want to say the instigator, but he was the the model uh, or the the guy around which those teams that culture was built. And so that that rowdy backyard scene um throwing pieces of furniture onto the fire pit big party lots of beer drinking etc was basically what the 49ers were from 
2008 until, uh, you know, the Harbaugh era ended abruptly in 2014. Great book, If These Walls Could Talk. Matt, when you're when you were writing this, was there any nuggets that you uncovered? Because as Rob just said, when you read this, it feels like we, we all kind of found, found out something new. Like for me, in 2011, 49ers overnight apparently just came a really, really good football team. And one of the parts that you wrote was uh, Vic Fangio just talking about how he wasn't going to watch film on any of the roster because he just didn't know the system that they were running. Uh, he didn't he didn't really know just what the 49ers needs were until really late. And that didn't stop the team from having success. So that was pretty interesting to me. Uh, what was what was something that you may have uncovered just putting this all together? Well, lots of things. I mean, uh, that that. You know, fire pit story. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that Harbaugh saved the life of one of his his players when they went to Youngstown that first year. I had no idea. I mean, uh, you 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 talk to these guys every day. You know, how was your day? How was practice? And you get the same answers. Uh, you would think that. Oh, by the way, one of our our guys almost choked to death, and the head coach saved him. But nobody knew about that. Um, you know, I, you know the the Crabtree Sherman incident um i always wonder what 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 is going on why was richard sherman just so fired up to the point where he's you know scaring the crap out of aaron andrews uh, at the end of the game i mean why all that hatred toward uh, michael crabtree and so i sat down with sherman and got the the whole story about that so um that was interesting to me um, there was an incident between Sherman, his brother, and and Jed York and Tony York, who's now deceased after that uh, that championship game. No idea that 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 happened. So there were there were quite a few things that you just get people talking, and this 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 happens after people have been out of the league for five or six years. That they could be the most um, uh, you know uh, taciturn, circumspect people. You know they don't tell you anything, but if enough distance uh, grows between, you know, when they played and, and the time now, then, then they open up. I mean, Justin Smith was like that. He never said anything when, when he was with the 49ers, but he was uh, kind of a lot more open about his, um, his injury. Remember that, that uh, tricep injury that he had against the Patriots late in 2012. You know, why did the 49ers lose the Super Bowl uh, to the Ravens? at that point, Justin Smith was like a one-armed guy. Um, if he doesn't suffer that injury, and I think it happened around now, like mid-December, late December, back in 2012, if he's healthy for that Super Bowl against the Ravens, to me, that's enough for a win there. I mean, he's a difference maker. And, uh, um, you know, just things like that, you, you learn after the fact that uh, had such a huge bearing on – history really on, on the outcomes of, uh, of a lot of these seasons, a lot of these games. You've been covering the Niners since 2003. And you talked about how guys are somehow willing to talk more after they retire. How much do you talk to the guys that are no longer with the team? Do you maintain those relationships even, you know, after they're either retired or away from the 49ers? Yeah, you do. I mean, um, you know, the 49ers played the Jets and Frank Gore, uh, earlier this year. So, you know, you get in touch with a lot of the guys that were on his early teams. And, and some of those guys have been retired for, you know, 15 years now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it helps from a journalism standpoint. You can always, there are always reasons to um, talk to 
you know, former players, you know, guys going into the Hall of Fame, uh, this, that, and the other. So, and I'm sure that's going to happen with Frank Gore, you know, four or five years from now. So, um, yeah, you try to, you see a lot of those guys at um, things like uh, the scouting combine or, or the Super Bowl. Um, and again, I mean, <laughs> guys that avoid you like the plague when they're playing, oh man, uh, uh, an annoying reporter, I don't want to talk to him. But five years later, like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? <laughs> No, here's my phone number. Yeah, call anytime. So um, it's a it, it is a, a different dynamic once they're they're out of the league. So you have been covering the team since '03. You've seen seven different head coaches, all different types of records. But can you tell when a guy is really good right away, or can you tell if he's just not a good fit right away? I'll tell you a story um, about that. You know, this is maybe something we should have put in the in the book about that Tom Sula press conference. It was so bad that I was sitting next to Matt Mayoko, another longtime reporter. It was so bad that I turned to him afterwards and said, well, I'll see you here next year. <laughs> I, we're going to have another head coach press conference in a year. I mean, so, yeah, you could tell that um, right right from the get-go that he was in over his head. He couldn't couldn't handle that, that press conference. He was just sweating and, and nervous and wasn't himself, um, not comfortable with the situation. And then, you know, that was, that was clear. I mean, he won five games that year. I mean, that's maybe the most remarkable part of it is that, uh, you know, Kaepernick was falling apart at that point, no talent, one retirement after another, uh, Jim Tom Sula is the head coach and they won five games. Um, the Kyle Shanahan won four games this past in, uh, in 2018. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is remarkable. The, the, Stuff with Harbaugh is well-documented. It had run its course there. That was going to be the end of it. But why on God's green earth was this team so fixated on Jim Tom Sula being that guy? They could have hired other head coaches. Why did it have to be Jim Tom Sula? They just felt very comfortable with Tom Sula. Um, you know, I, I painted that uh, Justin Smith picture of there being kind of turmoil and um, hard partying and, and this, that, and the other, um, you know, uh, the people who ran the team, Trent Balky, um, blamed Harbaugh for a lot of that too. And, and, and probably well-deserved, but the, there was a sense that Jim Tom Sula, just a really decent man or a really a great guy, um, had a great relationship with all the players was very avuncular, you know, father figure type of guy that, he would sort of be the opposite of Jim Harbaugh. And that's always what, what happens when you're getting rid of a coach. You are looking for uh, the opposite of, of the guy that you're getting rid of. You know that guy's foibles, all of his weaknesses. You're looking for a guy who has strengths in those areas, in the, in the same areas where the other guy has weaknesses. And that's what Jim, Su Jim Tom Sula was. He also was um, obliged to... Trent Baalke. Baalke had power over Jim Tom Sula. Um, Jim Tom Sula was a defensive line coach. Of, of course, he was going to acquiesce to Baalke. So, you know, Baalke brings in an Adam Gase or somebody else who's got, you know, more of a, a history, uh, more of an ego. Baalke's going to have the same issues with that coach as he did with Jim Harbaugh. So, um, in, in that way, I think Tom Sula also was the opposite of, of Harbaugh. Tom Sula was not, was meek is such a, uh, 
uh, pejorative word, but that's that's kind of how I think Balky saw it. I can manipulate this guy. Um, uh, I, I I was butting heads with Harbaugh the whole time. Harbaugh was too too hard to handle. This guy is handleable. Let's let's go with this guy. So, um, and of course, it was a, a terrible idea and a terrible move. And Balky should have been fired well before he he was, um, and uh, he wasn't. So the 49ers basically suffered for two more years than they should have. And, and that falls on, on Jed York for not recognizing that. Uh, Kyle Shannon doesn't seem like a person that you can manipulate. Uh, he, when I watch him, it seems like a guy that can relate to human beings, treat them as people, but also he has like a no nonsense manner as well. So I think it's kind of the best of all worlds as a head coach. When you first saw him at your initial press conference, what was your read, your initial read on Kyle? I had heard, um, bad things about Kyle and uh, and how his father um, ran the, the ship in Washington. So I sort of had a slanted view of it. And it, you know, I think it was coming from the front office there. I mean, everybody has a, an ax to grind. So I was skeptical at first, but I, I agree with you, Kyle. I mean, to me, he's been the best head coach to cover because he is so honest and he is so confident. So it doesn't feel like he needs to hide things like injury stuff. And I mean, it is what it is. And I've always felt the same, same way. I mean, telling us that uh, Tom Compton is starting at right guard, isn't going to decide the game. Uh, you know, the opponent isn't sitting there. Oh, Tom Compton's starting. Oh, we're going to have to rip up our, our whole game plan. Um, so there, there's a, a confidence, there's an honesty, there's a bluntness about Kyle Shanahan. I think that everybody appreciates, not just the media, the players do too. And, and Joe Staley in the forward to this book, uh, you know, says the same thing. I mean, there's just a, an, an honesty. Staley has lived through the ups and downs and he's seen all sorts of uh, coaching staffs, both good and bad. So he, his perspective is, uh, the best of anybody's, and, and he agrees that this current situation, Kyle Shanahan, head coach, John Lynch, GM, Shanahan, you know, wearing the pants, he's basically the guy running the show, but this, this arrangement is the best one that the 49ers have had uh, in a long, long time. And, and it's very similar to the sort of the Walsh, uh, John McVay arrangement. Um, McVay was a really good personnel guy, um, but just a, a really good person. People liked him. He could, uh, he could kind of control work with a big ego like uh, Bill Walsh's and uh, had respect all around the league. And I think that's what John Lynch is as well. So um, I think this is as good a, an arrangement. Is it perfect? No, but it, it, it never is um, that they could ask for. And uh, I certainly enjoy covering this team maybe more so than I have any other ones. You have in the book a story about Lynch and Shanahan and how that whole process came to be and how John Lynch eventually came to be the GM of the Niners. And they've always been very quick to point out that, you know, Kyle wears the pants, but it's a good relationship and they're on the same page. If Kyle wears the pants, my question is this, is there anybody in the organization that can tell him no, or, hey, you're wrong about this. You're thinking about this wrong, or you're just flat out being stupid about something. Well, I mean, I think they have those conversations. I mean, uh, I mean, and I think that's that's healthy that you can disagree about something. I don't know specifically what they've disagreed about um, players, um, 
maybe that uh, that running back out of Washington, out of uh, Utah, and Joe Williams. <laughs> that would be my suspicion. Uh, but uh, you know, it doesn't ruin things to a point where one guy, you know, slams his door and goes to his side of the organization, and the other guy does the same to his side, and they don't speak, and it becomes a a cold war, which is exactly what happened with the uh, the Balky Harbaugh situation. So. Um, I mean, ultimately, Jed York is is above uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan, so so he could tell him that. Uh, but you know, I, I I suspect that Shanahan is um, is headstrong on a lot of things. He's stubborn on a lot of things, but he's also rational. I mean, he's he got rid of Dante Pettis this 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 year. I mean, I think that was in hindsight uh, a healthy thing that he realized that Pettis was a a miss. And uh, instead of kind of keeping him around and trying to get him in, in the lineup, uh, he, he yanked him and he cut him. So, I mean, that's an admission that, okay, sometimes I'm not right about the guys that I bring in. Uh, but, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, there have been reports that, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff, i.e. Shanahan, holds too much sway in this organization and that the personnel people, uh, the, you know, the guys that are advising about the Joe Williams and the Dante Pettis's aren't, aren't being heard. So I, I think that's, that's a legitimate question when you do have uh, a head coach who is as powerful as Kyle Shanahan is. Yeah, and speaking of do-overs and, you know, Kyle Shanahan admitting that he makes mistakes, he just recently had some comments about how he feels about mobile QBs. You think if he had a do-over – he would he would have kept cap around no um i don't because cap um i mean i i guess at that point he was becoming a more more of a pocket quarterback i mean i think shanahan wants a guy that that does both and cap's big critique is that he was always looking to run um and, and he was great at it um so on, on this team i i, I just don't think that he he would have been a fit at that point from a um, from a pure quarterback standpoint. Now, I know we, we all watched uh, Cam Newton the other night uh, against the Rams, and and I mean you you can't tell me that Cam Newton is better than Colin Kaepernick at this point. I mean I I think that uh, a team that signs Colin Kaepernick is going to get a better version of Cam Newton, um, and and everybody you know, accepts that Cam Newton is a starter in this league. I mean, the, the uh, New England Patriots lost Tom Brady and they replaced him with Cam Newton. And uh, Cam Newton to me has always, uh, or Ka Kaepernick has always compared favorably over his career to Cam Newton. Uh, they both came out in the same draft. Uh, their completion percentages are very similar. Their rushing yards are very similar. Kaepernick ha had more success in the playoffs than Newton. Um, I don't know. I mean, my, my, my sense has always been, if you like Cam Newton, then you're going to like Colin Kaepernick, but, um, obviously there are other issues at play here and that's why, um, uh, Kaepernick's not in the league. So from 2010 to 2020, Kyle, you mentioned it early. Uh, this team has either been really, really good or really, really bad. There have been four 10 win seasons. There have been five, 10 loss seasons four NFC championship game appearances, two Super Bowls, and five head coaches. It is the wildest tenure period I can remember. 
But if you had to forecast the next 10 years, because John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan are seemingly going to be around, hopefully they're under contract, what, for five more years? I think both of them. What do you see in that time period? Well, I mean, just in the in the four seasons that they've been here, it's been that same up and down. I mean, you know, you, you expected them to start down. They were they inherited a, a two win team, um, and they went to the Super Bowl. And now they're you know if they lose to Washington, uh, you know maybe they're still technically alive in the playoffs, but um, they're not gonna you know they're not gonna have a winning season. Uh, so it, it, to me, it depends on on the quarterback. I mean, you, you look at these franchises that have had sustainability. They've had the same quarterback uh, all that time. I mean, look at Seattle. Seattle basically revamped on the fly, and, and they were still good during that time. Russell Wilson was the reason. Tom Brady's the reason or was the reason in, in New England, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you, uh, New Orleans with Drew Brees, you expect Kansas City to be good for the next decade, decade and a half with Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, it's, it's the uh, Jimmy Garoppolo question, um, and I don't know the answer to it. Um, you know, it, you can make a really great argument either way that if, if Kyle Shanahan doesn't think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a 10 year guy, then yeah, the, you know, the, the sooner you, you rip off that band aid, the better. Um, the counter argument being that what's the, what's, who's the replacement? There's no obvious answers for this team. Uh, you went to the Super Bowl last year with Jimmy Garoppolo. Why don't you just kind of stick with, uh, with the guy that got them there? So, um, I don't know exactly what's going through Kyle Shanahan's mind. I think he's probably wrestling with some of the, the same things that we, we discuss uh, in, in the media. Um, my sense is that they will stick with him in 2021. Um, and uh, sorry, Rob. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm certainly not sure of that uh, because of what I just discussed. He might not be, the guy that is the Russell Wilson and, and Kyle Shanahan might've reached that conclusion already about him. So I don't know. Well, if they stick with Jimmy G, are they going to draft a quarterback? Are they going to stick with Jimmy and also bring in a younger guy like Sam Darnold? Like how is this going to work out or will it just be Jimmy and moving forward with him? I don't, I, I, no, I think that they will, I mean, they almost have to revamp their, their, their quarterback room. I mean, I, I, th I think it's clear that Nick Mullins um, isn't, isn't even a great, I mean, you look at what happened with, with the Eagles the year that they won the Super Bowl. They lost Carson Wentz and they had a guy that could, could still take them to a Super Bowl win. I, I, don't, I don't think Nick Mullins is that guy. I don't think C.J. Beathard is that guy. Uh, so at the very least, you need to bring in a, a number two who can play like a number one. Um, and I don't think the 49ers have that. And, and both those guys I mentioned are, are free agents. So it may take care of itself in that regard. So I, I do think that the 49ers need to um, revamp that room. I don't know how they're going to do it. Guys like Darnold, um, like Carson Wentz, I mean, they're, they're going to be costly. I mean, they're, they're not going to be available right off the street. You have to give something up to get them. And that's probably a fairly high draft pick. Um, so it, the 49ers are in a bit of no man's land. If, if the season ended today, I think they'd had the 14th pick. That's not going to get you a, um, a day one rookie starter. 
Um, it, it might get you Trey Lance, but I, I don't think that Lance in year one is, is going to start a lot of games. I think he needs to be on the, on the bench kind of in, in learning mode. He just hasn't had a lot of games in college. So that might be a scenario, Kyle, that, that they have is that you have Jimmy as your starter, but you also have a guy like Trey Lance, or maybe it's Kyle Trask, or maybe it's Mac Jones from Alabama, who's, who's drafted fairly highly and is sort of waiting in the wings, sort of the, the, the d- dynamic that Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick had in 2011. Uh, Kaepernick didn't play a snap uh, his rookie year um, and came in sporadically uh, over the first, what was it, six or seven games until Smith had that concussion. And then, you know, he, he took off. So that's, that's, uh, that's a, a plausible working scenario, I think, for 2021 and 2022. Speaking of 2021, it appears right now anyway, like the 49ers will need a new defensive coordinator in that season. Do you think tucked away in a drawer somewhere, Kyle Shanahan has a list of names that he's going to go to if Robert Solo leaves? Yeah, I think he had that, you know, last year is working on it. Um, I was asked about Vic Fangio in, in one of my recent mailbags. I think that's entirely plausible. Uh, Fangio might get, uh, fired by the, the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, Shanahan was looking at Fangio in, in 2017. Uh, Fangio couldn't get out of his uh, contract at that point. I think he was with the Bears at, at, uh, still. So, I mean, that's a guy that he's looked at in the past. So I, I, I don't know why he wouldn't do that again. Uh, Dan Quinn would be another guy. Um, D'Amico Ryans, um, I, I, I don't know. He, he's... He's still a young head coach. I don't know if he, he gets that promotion at this point, but maybe that's, that's something that um, Shanahan wants to do is kind of keep that in-house continuity um, as well. But um, Fangio would be interesting because it would, you know, you would think that it would require some retooling of the defensive line in particular, and, and especially Nick Bosa. What, what kind of player does he become? Is he now, a stand-up, uh, you know, outside linebacker like um, Alden Smith and, and Von Miller and Khalil Mack, guys that Fangio have coached uh, were. Um, Bosa has said he's more comfortable with his hand in the dirt as a more traditional defensive end. I'm, I, and I'm sure Fangio, you know, he knows every defense. So it, it's not something he'd be intractable with if he decides that, yeah, Bosa's best coming off the edge with his hand in the dirt. That's how he'll he'll draw it up. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. But uh, I, I do like that that dynamic. Um, Fangio is really successful here. Ed Donatel, um, he's been in the news lately because he's he's struggled with uh, with COVID out in Denver. But uh, he's a really underrated coach. Wherever Donatel goes, the defensive secondary um, is fantastic and going back to one of your early questions. I mean, that's, that, that dynamic was at play in 2011. Um, those guys all came in really late in that uh, off season, that uh, strike shortened uh, or lockout shortened off season. And then they turned into the best uh, defensive backfield in the NFL and it wasn't close. So that would be sort of a nice feather in the 49ers cap. They're rebuilding that, defensive secondary in 2021 
if Ed Donatel is part of that rebuild and sort of coaching those guys up, uh, that's uh, I'd be reassured if, if I were a 49ers fan. Yeah, sign me up for that because 2010, they were like bottom 10, and then they morphed into top 10 overnight, which is unheard of in the NFL, especially just with how late in the process they started. Uh, just yeah, of- Kyle, for, for you and me, it, it all comes down to how many good stories can we write about a situation? So it's one what <laughs> is ripe with uh, great story ideas. So that that's one we should be rooting for because uh, that's 10 stories right there, man. A hundred percent. And we are what's important here when we are talking about the 49ers decision. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm looking out for number one here. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some of the free agents because the 49ers have roughly 162 unrestricted free agents in the off season. And that's, that's right. I, don't, I don't think there's anyone more important than Trent Williams. Do you see a scenario where Trent Williams isn't a 49er next year? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it comes down to money. I, I, I agree with you. He's their number one priority. It'll start with Trent Williams. He seemed, he seemed to suggest the other day when we were talking to him, remember he had that, it was just sort of an aside that if it was about money, I would be in Minnesota right now. So, I mean, his, the easy takeaway from that is that it's, it's not about money for him. Um, so I, 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 it doesn't seem like he's looking to break the bank. He, he'll he'll want to be pay, uh, paid fairly. And so I, I just don't see that as being a, a hiccup for this team. So, um, um, you know, of, of course, do the Tennessee Titans, you know, a team that's got scads of salary cap space, just make him an offer that he can't refuse. That's that's plausible. But it's, it seemed the other day as if he really wanted to be part of this team for the long haul. So I, I, I think that's really good news as far as him coming back. Do the 49ers fall into this trap? Because they have so many free agents. Do they fall into this trap of trying to sort of keep this team together, this core that we have? Or do you think that Shanahan and Lynch are sort of objective enough to say, you know, it's impossible to keep this team together. Let's totally scrap it and start over and maybe swing for the fences on a couple of guys. Yeah, I don't know if they would swing for the fences on a couple of guys. I mean, I've been calling this, you know, is 2021 the gap year? I mean, it's it's an oddball salary cap year. You've got the question about Garoppolo. Um, you have all of these free agents, you know, is this the year that uh, it's sort of a, a mini rebuild with a, a one year rebuild. So instead of a, a three year process, like a rebuild usually is, do they use sort of the oddball nature of 2021 and um, do some big ticket things like find a new quarterback, start developing a new quarterback. I mean, even if they brought in like a math, Matthew Stafford, um, the, the track record for the, the Shanahan quarterback is that he's not all that great in year one, but he takes off in year two. So is 2021 the year one? Um, so that 2022 is a really realistic Super Bowl season. So uh, again, I think that's something, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that's something that they've been thinking about for months and months and months. Um, what their conclusion is, I don't know. Again, I think it'll be, our window's open now. Let's not overthink this. We've been to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. We can get there again. Let's just hit it again with him as our quarterback and and uh, and, and hope we get there. And I know uh, Rob is uh, shaking his head, and I think a lot of uh, fans share that sentiment. 
maybe this is the year to do that, but um, that's, that's the conundrum. And I, I don't know what the answer is. So we're going to stick to these hypotheticals. Let's say that the 49ers beat Washington. They beat Dallas. Do we see Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle? And do you foresee the 49ers making the playoffs? Yeah, in that scenario, wins against Washington and Dallas. That game against the Cardinals is, talk about storylines. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're facing their stepbrother. I mean, it's like uh, Cain versus Abel. I mean, it's biblical in the desert. <laughs> Been wandering the desert now. It's like Old Testament stuff here. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's for all the marbles. I mean, that would be a huge game because they essentially would be playing for that last playoff spot, those two teams. So, you know, you would think if, if Garoppolo and Kittle are even close to being ready that they would, they would come back for that game. It would, it would take a team of horses, I think, to keep Kittle from playing in that game. Having said that, Lynch and Shanahan have been the kings of, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that the, these guys will be back for that game. And it just gets pushed, you know, further and further down the line. And I wonder if they're kind of dangling that out there as a carrot, not just for us, not just for the fans, but also for the players as well. Um, hey, if you guys can pull off these next two wins, we got a, a shot of, of having our best player and our top quarterback come back for this game. So uh, we've been fooled once, twice, three times with a uh, hopeful the the injured guy is back at this point, and it never has worked out this season. So uh, fool me, uh, fool me ten times, shame on me at that point. <laughs> it would be nice to see the 49ers end the season with some wins. I just feel like, you know, you look at Harbaugh, he was an incredible coach. His record with the 49ers was fantastic. I think Shanahan is actually a, a better coach than Jim Harbaugh, X's and O's wise, and, and actually just managing the team. But I mean, you look at the records, it's not even close. Harbaugh blows them out of the water. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, there, there was some great timing at work there. Um, that, that team had been built for a coach like Harbaugh, but had been mismanaged for years. Um, you know, by, by Nolan, by Singletary, by Tom Sula, uh, by, by Chip Kelly. And so Harbaugh in, inherited a veteran team, a really a tough-nosed team, blue-collar team, and he was the, the perfect coach for that team. And they just took off like crazy after that, uh, that win against the Eagles. Um, so he, he lucked out in a way that he inherited um, a ready-made championship-caliber team. And he was the right coach to, 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 to coach them for sure. I mean, that's, I don't want to take anything away from him and, and uh, Fangio and, and Greg Roman. Um, so it, it was a better team than the one that obviously Shanahan and Lynch inherited. The other part of it is that remember how many times, and I, and I think it was 2011, 2012, um, Harbaugh would say, Oh, we, we dodged a bullet with this injury. It's not. It's not as. Uh, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Shanahan ain't dodging any bullets. I mean, they're all worse. They're all way worse than uh, you know they they expect to be. So uh, luck plays a role in it. And maybe you can even say that because those uh, Harbaugh teams were were built to be blue collar teams, sort of might is right teams. They didn't get hurt as much. Um, they were more rugged guys. Uh, Scott McLuhan was really good at drafting tough guys. I mean, I have a whole chapter about that in the book, just the type of guys that 
he and Nolan would go after. They were good at figuring out who was, you know, uh, a fake and who was a genuine tough guy. Um, so they had tough guys. They had bigger guys on that roster. They didn't get hurt as much um, as, as the Shanahan guys uh, seemed to get hurt. So I, I think that there is something there. Uh, but uh, again, I would say luck is the, whenever it comes to injury, luck is the overarching factor. And the luck has just been rotten here in the last four seasons. Yeah, you couldn't have asked for worse luck for the 49ers. I don't think it's possible for them to be any, any more unlucky than they've been. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. If you have not had a chance to read his book, If These Walls Could Talk, 11 chapters about the 49ers from everything, as he mentioned, the tough guys. We didn't talk about Scott McLuhan, and we've been talking for 45 minutes right now. That is amazing. So that just kind of tells you of, of how much detail is in this book. Matt, is there anything that you are working on that you want to plug right now? Yeah, I mean, um, Alex Smith is is playing this team um, on Sunday. Unfortunately, it's not going to be in front of fans uh, in Levi Stadium, which would have been a nice – I think people would have given him um, a, a warmer reception than uh, he had when, when he was leaving. Um, again, uh, time tends to mellow things out uh, uh, with, with things. So I'm just working on a sort of a – not a recollection piece, but – uh, uh, 11 thoughts about Alex Smith. And, and really he's sort of, you know, a, a big player in this book. He's, he's sort of the, uh, the current of, uh, of the team from 2005 to when he gets hurt in 2012. Um, he is the, the major theme, the major thread on that squad. So uh, he's, a, uh, he's been a guy that's played a big role in 49ers recent history, uh, a big figure on this team. And, he gets his first whack at his, his old team on Sunday. So I, I think that's, uh, that's worth mentioning. We want car. We want car. Oh, Bob, I, I kind of figured to be one of the guys, you were one of the guys chanting that in, uh, in Candlestick back in A thousand percent I was chanting. And the crazy thing about that is they start chanting that and he actually starts coming back in the game and yeah. playing better at that point. I remember. Yeah. No, Liz uh, Smith, his, his wife, tells a, just a terrible story about how a bunch of drunk guys figured out who she was and, like, really started harassing her in the stands to the point of, like, throwing beer bottles and stuff like that. So, Rob, I, I hope you weren't one of those guys that no. were part of that crew. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know where the line is for sure. Throwing throwing things at people's heads is not is not where I go, but... Yeah, like Kyle said, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. And go pick up the book. It is awesome for you. It's an awesome holiday gift. And we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it.